Green Room on Air. Green Room on Air. The podcast that takes you beyond the velvet curtains and into the pulsating heart of the entertainment world. Hello, everyone. This is Ray Renati, and you have reached Green Room on Air. I'm doing video today. I haven't done this in a while by myself unless I'm on Zoom. See how this works out. I'm trying to use uh, OBS here. And uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world, I'll tell you that. Uh, for some people, it's super easy, apparently. But for me, taint. Taint easy. Uh, God, I hope you're having a good day. It's so warm here. I'm uh, kind of frying here in my little studio. Uh, it's very sunny outside. I'm looking out the window. The reason I say winder is because I have been uh, hooked on Schmigadoon on Apple TV. I don't know if you've uh, had the chance to take a look at Schmigadoon, but it's quite a, a great show. If you like musical theater, which I do. In fact, I love musical theater. Um, it's amazing. Schmigadoon is uh, basically uh, it's based on the famous first music, movie musical and then stage musical called Brigadoon. And uh, it's about a magical place. And in our story, Schmigadoon, a couple having trouble with their relationship, fall upon the land of Schmigadoon, where life is a musical. That's season one. And then season two is... Uh, uh, it's Schmigadoon in Chicago. What's it called? <laughs> anyway, it's more modern musicals. Uh, instead of the old-fashioned ones from the 30s and 40s and 50s, it's, it's, uh, it's more the musicals from the era after that, like Cabaret in Chicago. And uh, it's a totally different feel. I'm in love with this show. It's been on for a while. I'm behind the eight ball. Check it out, Schmigadoon, two seasons. Well, we lost two great uh, people this week. Tony Bennett, who's one of my idols and has been for a long time. I've seen him live once, and it was one of the most memorable concerts I think I'll ever go to in my life. It was at Davies Symphony Hall in San Francisco, and it was magical. It's the only time that I saw a person get a standing ovation in the middle of a song and he had to stop singing. I've never seen that before. I found that quite amazing. I'm going to change my audio levels here. You know, I just am really a novice on this OBS. OBS is a way for you to uh, have like a complete recording studio for free on your desktop um except it's really nerdish <laughs> i don't know what it stands for obs you know with all the video uh podcasting and audio podcasting out there you'd think they well that's probably out there i think there are some things that are super easy to use uh but they cost a lot of money and this one's free and since I'm a, a, a notorious cheapskate, uh, yeah, no, because I, I, I'm learning. I'm learning, folks. You know, uh, the other person that we lost this week, and 
I'm not sure what happened, and I don't think anybody does, was is uh, Sinead O'Connor. And um, I mean, what a what an amazing person she was. I mean, a lot of people didn't like her. She caused a lot of uh, a lot of controversy um, in her life. Um, I, I loved her. I thought she was a true artist. I mean, in, in the true sense of the word, you know, she was herself a hundred percent. Uh, and she was very idealistic and very values driven an incredible, talented human being. Um, yeah, her, her son, who I guess was also in her mind, her best friend, uh, ended his own life a couple of years ago. And she says she's been like living a, a like a, a monster of the night since then, or something to that effect. Uh, it's very sad. Um, I'm looking right here. Morrissey slams Sinead O'Connor tributes. You praise her now only because it is too late. And this is in Rolling Stone. Uh, the musician published uh, an impassioned website post criticizing what he views as disingenuous tributes to the singer who died Wednesday, at the age of 56. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there are, there are always people like that. I think that people, I don't, I don't think it's disingenuous. I mean, people not have, may not have been thinking about her all the time. Um, but it doesn't mean they didn't appreciate her. But there's always people who do this when somebody dies, you know, you're disingenuous, start calling names. Uh, this is what Sinead O'Connor told her kids to do if she died suddenly. This is in the New York Post. Before Sinead O'Connor was found dead in her London home Wednesday, she told her children what to do if she passed away suddenly. I've always instructed my children since they were very small. If your mother drops dead tomorrow before you called 911, call my accountant and make sure the record companies don't start releasing my records and not telling you where the money is. <laughs> I love that. Wow. So uh, that's that's practical advice, and it also shows that she had a sense of humor. And it's also practical advice for her children to make sure that they get the money they deserve from her records. Yeah. Well, life is short, folks. I'm uh, in my 60s now, and uh, boy, do I realize it. It's, uh, you hit a certain age. And something changes in your mind. And you realize that every moment is precious because you really don't have a lot of time. Um, now, I have an article here that is in the San Francisco Chronicle I found very interesting. It's entitled, Can Bay Area Theaters Make Subscriptions Sexy Again? Ooh. So, uh, you know... Theater companies, especially in the San Francisco Bay Area, really rely on subscriptions. People to buy all of their tickets uh, ahead of time at a discount for the entire season so that the 
company, theater company, becomes more flush with cash so that they can do things uh, that require money, which is like everything. Um, the article goes on to say the audiences for live theater simply aren't back. The conventional wisdom goes. Same for season subscriptions on which the industry has long depended. They'd already been waning for decades, and then the pandemic sent them a plummeting. A superficial look at the data for, Bay Area scene, for the Bay Area seems to confirm that notion. Almost across the board, subscriptions, the purchase of tickets to a whole season, as we talked about, um, are down steeply from pre-pandemic levels. And... Uh, yeah, it looks like, for instance, uh, American Conservatory Theater, ACT, which is arguably the largest, most influential local theater in San Francisco, either that or Berkeley Rep. Um, their July 2019, uh, they had 6.8 thousand subscribers in July 2019, and in July 2023, they have 5.2 thousand. Theater Works Silicon Valley, which is uh, sort of like the ACT of the San Francisco Peninsula in Palo Alto, they went from 5.2 thousand subscribers down to 3.2 thousand subscribers from July 2019 to July 2023. Aurora Theater Company, a smaller company right next door to Berkeley Rep, went from 2.1 thousand to 880. San Francisco Playhouse, interestingly enough, have remained at 1.7 thousand subscribers. And I have to say, they're really, really good at marketing. Uh, they're, they're genius at marketing. They're a smaller company, but see, hey, they haven't lost a thing. So I find that very interesting. Uh, shotgun Players a really small theater company that does great stuff in Berkeley from 1.3 thousand to 901 city lights theater company is a very cutting edge company in San Jose uh, went from 475 subscribers down to 186. Wow. And Oakland theater project, a very small, but wonderful theater company went from 141 subscribers down to 95. Wow. So, um, not good news. Uh, but any comparison, though, has caveats. And as the article goes on, four years ago, San Francisco's American Conservatory Theater had started selling partial subscriptions earlier in the year, and theater work Silicon Valley season had already begun by now, while this year's season commences in October. Meanwhile, Oakland Theater Project and Berkeley Shotgun Players run on calendar years, unlike other company seasons, which proceed from fall to spring. Okay, so they're just saying it's hard to compare apples and oranges. However, uh, despite these bleak numbers, subscriptions are here to stay. They are. I mean, theater companies have to have them. Um, at Aurora Theater, Theater Company in Berkeley, subscriptions are down from 2,140 to 880, as I said. Yet interim co-managing director Robin Dolan doesn't believe the model is dying. She says that she actually bristles at that idea. She says that she thinks people like to 
doomsday. Doomsday. Like to dooms, doomsay. Oh, I see. How, how clever is that? She took the word doomsday and turned it into a verb by saying doomsay. I, I think people like to doomsay. Aurora, she points out, has more first-time subscribers now than it did four years ago, an encouraging sign. And that might be because, um, this is just a guess on my part, but with diversity being the, uh, the focus of almost every professional theater company in the San Francisco Bay Area, maybe they're attracting different uh, types of play theater goers than they used to. Just wondering. Um, yeah, nobody gives you a big donation after coming to see one show, said Shotgun Players founding artist director, artistic director Patrick Dooley. When you start to have fewer folks subscribing, you have fewer folks that cultivate that strong sense of loyalty to an organization, and then they're going to be less inclined to give donations. Good point, Patrick. So people who um, subscribe donate much more on the whole than people who just come to the show because they're not as committed as subscribers are. Subscribers are theater's best customers in still other ways, said Tom Parrish, managing director at Berkeley Rep, which has sold 8,000 subscriptions of its 9,000 goal for this year. In contrast to a pre-pandemic 12,000. Wow, that's hurting. Uh, it's cheaper to retain someone than to attract new customers, he said. The profitability of a patron increases the more loyal they become. We may lose money, actually, selling an individual ticket because of the promotional cost. Interesting. Parrish added that many theaters have considered a membership model where for a fixed fee, patrons could come as often or as infrequently as they like, but that poses its own problems. Huh, interesting. You have to sell the membership and then sell the show, so there's the added cost of basically promoting a show twice. Ah, how complicated. I wonder if they've lost subscribers at these companies, not only because of COVID, but because the programming has changed quite significantly. And it has. Um, as I said, there's way more diversity. There's different types of plays being produced. And it, I wonder if, uh, if some people have found that not something to their liking. I don't know if anyone's looked at that. We'll see if it's in the article. <laughs> Um, what's one of the weird things about this article is I know most of these people that I'm quoting. <laughs> Subscriptions aren't just about the money, pointed out Lisa Millette, executive director of San Jose City Lights Theater Company. It's so, it's so much about audience members self-identifying themselves as folks who really believe in your organization and have faith in your future, especially when so many are closing or downsizing, she said. Without subscribers, she went on, we'd be throwing more spaghetti against the wall, not knowing whether choices are resonating. I see. Yeah. yeah so the choices you make for your season uh, and then the subsequent renewal by your current customers or lack thereof will show you whether or not 
people are appreciating the type of work you're doing. During the pandemic, when consumers, uh, during the pandemic, when consumers were foregoing travel and other suddenly moot expenses, subscriptions in other industries thrived. And not just as juggernauts like Amazon, Netflix, and Spotify. Now, one can buy subscriptions to just about anything, from pasta to bouquets of flowers to healing crystals. Hmm. Interesting. Um, there should be some special sauce or source of delight. In theater, she added, and this is, uh, this is a, a woman named um, Conery. Amy Connery, uh, founder of the Subscribed Institute, the think tank of Redwood City software company Zora. Uh, uh. She says there has to be personalization. Things that I care about should be easy to find. If I can't find the things that I'm going to get value out of, I'm not going to take advantage of those and I might not renew. There has to be some special sauce or source of delight. In theater, she added, that could be a sense of community. That's very true. I think the picnic tables at Cal Shakes uh, Grand Bruns Amphitheater in Arinda Hills or VIP meet and greets. The personalization factor might be one area of growth for the performing arts. I agree with that. I agree. I think that if people feel like they're part of a community, they'll be much more apt to subscribe to something. Um, Theaters can't know when individual audience members have stopped paying attention the same way Netflix knows when a user stops streaming a show. <clears throat> Nor can they afford teams of data scientists to crunch numbers and design algorithms. That's the big problem is crunching the data is hard. And, you know, I have to say, um, probably most people who run theater companies aren't the best at uh, running complex spreadsheets. <laughs> Um, not that we would want uh, performance lineups planned by robots anyway. And a six-show season, say, isn't going to offer audiences the same array of choices as a library of films and TV. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, but that doesn't mean theaters can't do more to highlight what might interest you. For instance, if you loved Madeline George's Hurricane Diane at the Aurora, you might want to know that it's going to cast Louisa Sermol again in show X, whoever that is, offer a more whimsical sex comedy in show Y, or host a meetup with, a drink, uh, with drink specials for patrons in your age bracket for show Z. Gardening and HGTV fans would be a great affinity group for Hurricane Diane, for example. Now, see, I don't agree with any of that. First of all, the first mistake that they're making here, and I see this a lot in San Francisco, uh, for instance, this statement. If you love Madeline George's Hurricane Diane at the Aurora, you might want to, want to know that it's going to cast Louisa Sermall again in show X. Okay, first of all, um, Louisa Sermall is not a celebrity. I, I'm sure that she's an absolutely wonderful actor. I don't even know who she is. Oh, yes, I do. I see her picture. Okay, I've seen her around. But I don't believe that there are that many people in the Bay Area who keep track 
of specific actors and make sure that they go see all of their shows. I just don't believe that. And, and I think that San Francisco is somewhat full of itself when they think that that's true. Um, it's hard for us here to admit that we're not a real player in the national scene in, ter in terms of theater. We're, we're just not. Uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be. We should be, I think. But we're not. We used to be years ago with the magic and ACT when Bill Ball was there. We're talking, you know, in the 1960s and 70s and maybe into the 80s. But we're just not now. And um, yeah, so there's that. So I, I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think people who enjoy gardening are going to want to go see Hurricane Diane. I just... If because there's gardening in that show, it just it, it, these are these are mistakes I think that people make. Of course, there are going to be a few, but how many? I just don't think very many. Uh, and this is just based on my own experience in this market for decades. Um, the proliferation of uh, subscriptions elsewhere makes Susie Damilano. Uh, co-founder and producing director of San Francisco Playhouse, believed that theater can find its own way to, to make the model work. Still, she attributes the success of her company, one of the few local outfits that hasn't seen a big dip in subscription numbers, as we discussed earlier, to the same qualities most theaters believe they have, a welcoming staff and a mix of well-known and less familiar plays. Though the Playhouse might have learned more leaned more heavily on familiar titles than other companies for the coming year. That's true. But that was smart of them because they knew, uh, like, like, for instance, right now they're doing Chorus Line, which is hugely, a hugely popular musical. Um, but I have to say, when you go to San Francisco Playhouse, everyone is super friendly. You feel like you're part of something. Uh, the, the speeches that they give before each play are heartfelt and it's and passionate and they really draw you in and you want to come back. Um, yeah. Also, they have the most amazing location in San Francisco. It, it's... It's right near ACT and it's a small, smaller house so they can fill it up. It's hard for ACT to fill up their house because it's thousands of seats, I think. Um, Don Milano said that at curtain speeches before most performances, we, but subscribers know that we think they're the greatest human beings alive. See, there you go. I didn't even, I just said that. <laughs> now I'm reading it and they do. Because you feel like you're at church when you go to SF Playhouse and you know that the people running it believe it to be their church. Adding that when she and husband Bill English founded the theater, she gave herself a particular mandate. And it was this. I want this place to be a place where even my family, who never goes to the theater and never went to the theater, would want to come. What a great goal. Most theater leaders acknowledge they have to spruce up subscription practices for the post-pandemic era. 
Adam Thurman, marketing director at ACT, said that smaller packages where audiences can choose specific shows for a company's full lineup are on the rise. That's a good idea. Make it more affordable. I've seen those before. There, there was a time when companies did that a lot. In fact, my company that I used to help run, the Pair Theater, we had, we had partial subscriptions for a long time. There are a lot of uh, preconceptions of how subscriptions used to be in their, in their rigidity, Parrish said, referring to how patrons would get locked into show dates more than a year in advance. Now many theaters emphasize that subscriptions are the only way to get both good seats and the option of free last-minute ticket exchanges. Well, that's been going on. That's nothing new about that. Um, Patrick Dooley at uh, Shotgun said, how, how do we make a subscriptions sexy? <laughs> a 35-year-old might imagine a subscriber as a parent or grandparent out in the suburbs. And I think, I don't want to be that person. Domilano might be onto something in framing it this way. This is uh, Susie Domilano at SF Playhouse. It's six chances for you to get together with your closest friends and spend the night out in San Francisco. Great, great marketing. Simple, easy to understand. And yeah, I like that. Both Dooley and Thurman make a more philosophical view. When a single ticket buyer becomes a subscriber, he said, it's partly because they have asked themselves, what does membership in this organization say about me? You say yes, not just to the show, but to the mission and values. Hmm. Hmm. I don't think that's true. I'm sorry, Patrick, but if you're listening to this, I don't agree with you. I think you're going too deep into it. I think it just has more to what, what Susie said. If people feel warm and they feel like they're important, that's it. I don't think they're thinking about their values. They, they want to just have a good time. Now, it's, it, if it really... Now, this may be a Berkeley thing. And, and I know that Shotgun Players actually does a lot of very uh, cutting-edge sort of value-driven theater. So for them, it may be true. Like, there might be people who are very attracted to whatever shotgun's political stance may be perceived to be or repulsed by it. And they may make their decision in, in that way. And that, and, and in that sense, he may be right. But uh, for most theater companies, uh, I don't think, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the case. I think it just has more to do. Are we going to have fun? Are we going to feel how warm fuzzies when we get there? Do we feel like we're part of the group? And uh, do they make us feel happy like um, we wanted our house to be when we were little kids? <laughs> I think that's it. Um, yeah. Anyway, that was kind of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed going through that article. I hope you enjoyed it. If you made it to the end, if you want to read it, it just go to uh, datebook.sfchronicle.com. And, uh, Go to the theater section. It's right there. And uh, you can check it out for yourselves. All right. Tony Bennett, Sinead O'Connor, we love you. Thank you so much for bringing us so much joy and giving yourself to this world in, in ways that most people never can or do. You have made our world a better place. Amen. All right, everybody. Have a 
a great week and uh, take care of yourselves. And until next time, I will see you on the boards. Bye-bye.